All right, good morning. How are we doing? Good. Let me get my notes here. Uh, come on. All right, well, it is a pleasure to uh, open up God's Word with you this morning. So if you have a Bible, you can begin to make your way to uh, the Gospel of Matthew. So the first book of the New Testament. Matthew, Matthew chapter 5 is where we're going to hang out. Uh, if you're just joining us, welcome. We are in the middle of this series, just a couple more weeks left uh, through our God at Work series. And what maybe is surprising to some of you in, in this series is just to think about something we don't think about a lot, but that God really, really, really cares about work. He is a worker. He made us in his image. He made us to work. He delights in your work. Uh, he, he delights when you get delight in your work. And, um, and we, we looked at that, but there's also the, the curse and the sin and there's burden and labor and toil. And so sometimes we only see work through that, those lens, but hopefully this series has helped uh, redeem work a little bit for you uh, and, and rescue that uh, in that. So we looked at uh, how, how we can redeem it, like in, in so far as Colossians, or yeah, it was Colossians chapter three, where it says, uh, whatever you do, whether in word or deed, work at it with all your heart. Um, and, and so just to put our heart into it. And so we've been kind of unpacking, what does that actually look like uh, um, to serve the Lord, do your work unto the Lord uh, in different spheres, in different ways? Now, if you, if you study church history, one of the great things that happened at the Reformation, not, a, just, a, not just a renewal of gospel centrality, a renewal of coming back to the Word, uh, particularly through uh, the teachings and work of Martin Luther, he, he uh, came back to the Word, and, and what he saw was that in that time in church history, there, there was uh, some, something called a vocatio. Some people received a vocatio, or a vocation, a, a calling, and those were like the first class Christians. You received a vocatio if you uh, were called to be a nun, a monk, a priest, a bishop. These people were on, on a pedestal and they, they were the holy people. And the rest of us were just trying to get by. Like, maybe we'll make sure we go to Mass, we make sure we, we take the sacraments, we make sure we do all the things so that maybe in the end, and after some purgatory, we can slip into heaven. But, but oh, the, the vocatio people, they, they've really got it. And Martin Luther came back and he, he looked at the Bible and he said, no, that is totally wrong. He says, it isn't the monks and the priests and the, uh, the bishops and the nuns that get a vocatio. He says, every believer, everyone that has ever been called into the family of God has a calling, it has a vocatio. And, and he, he, he kind of looked at what we've been looking at through this series and, and Genesis and, and work and then just uh, that, that we are all uh, priests. Peter tells us that we, we all, and a priest mediates between God and man. We all carry the light and the truth of the gospel. And so he says, no, the, the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker have as much of a calling, or probably more, he would argue, than the nun and, and the people shut up in, in the monasteries. So they're doing more of God's work on, on, in God's world than the, the, the religious people. And so he, he truly tried to just raise the, the value of, of the things that we're all called to. And yet, I think we still have this kind of disconnect. We still think, well, you know, if I was a, if I was a really a committed Christian, you know, then I, then I, could, I would go to seminary. Uh, I'd, I'd be a pastor. I'd be a missionary. But I'm just trying to get by. And, and I, think, um, I think we kind of like that system, actually. 
Because we can give honor to the pastors, the missionaries, the church planners, and, and that, that'll kind of be also their pay. So we can, we can justify that. And, and then, then we'll just kind of get by. And, and the ministry is for the professional people. Uh, but, but we're just trying to get by. And, and Luther and the Bible is going to say, no, 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 no. You are the ministers. You have a calling. God is at work in you and through you. He delights in your work. Your work matters. And today I want to look at, at uh, one of the reasons your work matters is because the people you work with matter. They matter to God. So last week I, I told you about how I had this opportunity 20 years ago to uh, just quit, quit my job and go to seminary full time. And, uh, and, and I thought that was awesome, but at the time I didn't know what I would lose. I didn't know for a couple months later, actually. Uh, it was the first week of seminary, and um, it, was, it was convocation day, and, and I was, I was, it was a Tuesday morning, and I was uh, laying in bed, and Jennifer came in, and she said, um, a, a plane has just hit the World Trade Center. I was like, wow. I, I had just been there, and I thought, oh, maybe it's just an accident, and so I stayed in bed, tried to get a couple extra minutes, and um, then she came in again. She said, another plane hit the other trade center. And, and obviously, uh, those of us that are old enough to remember, everything changes in that moment. And I get up and like you, I'm, I'm, I'm stuck to the television and I'm just watching this and wondering what that, what that entails and what that means. And, and then I had to go to convocation, go to seminary. And as I'm driving to seminary, I realized, man, in a moment where the world is questioning, in a moment where they're just really wrestling with things. In this moment, I have, by and large, totally pulled out of any meaningful engagement and interaction with the world that I had before. I had it. But when I was a financial advisor, we, we would have, uh, I, I had lunchtime Bible studies. We'd open up the Word. When I was a pizza delivery driver, I would talk to those guys all the time. I had six guys come with me on Easter morning to hear the gospel preached from pizza. But in this moment where the world is like, man, what is going on? Searching for answers, I was totally disconnected. And I felt, I felt the, the lament in that. And honestly, that hasn't gone away in 20 years. Uh, my job is, is geared to being around Christians <laughs> and, and, and spending time with people of the light. And there and there's these moments where I'm like, man, these moments like when, when my good friend and pastor uh, Matthew Bowerman says, I'm going to step away and, and I'm going to go in there. And I'm like, man, I'm jealous. There is part of me that would love to do that. Because the fact of the matter is you all will go into places this week that I would never have access to. And you will encounter image bearers and, and people that, that God loves dearly, that the only source of hope is you. And, and so I want to talk about that a little bit this morning. Um, and uh, there's just this kind of paradox that I've, I've noticed in my own life and in churches that uh, something happens like if... Like, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't grow up uh, going to youth group or anything like that. So when I became a Christian, I was just like, man, I'm going to tell everyone about that. And so uh, I was pretty zealous about sharing my faith. And, uh, but over time, and, and I'd get these questions. I didn't know the answers, and I have to go figure those out. Uh, but over time, uh, what I found is I learned more and more and more and more of the answers. And I had less and less and less opportunity to actually tell people the answers. It's this weird paradox. 
And that, that might be true of you as well. Something's weird when, when, when we know the gospel better, we know the word better, and we share it less. In fact, that's not just true of individuals, it's true of churches. One, denom- one denomination found that 90% of all their new believers in the last, uh, of all new believers had come from churches that were less than four years old. There's something about a church plan, a young church that is on mission. Now, we're, we're just over four years old, so that terrifies me. Are we going to be a church that it just increasingly becomes inward focused, increasingly does our thing and, and gets more and more programs and, and gets like, we, we feel like we have a lot of activity, and yet one of the very primary things that God has called us to, we just neglect because, hey, we're learning a lot. We've got a lot of Bible. Like, that would be a tragedy. So I, I want to push back against that a little bit um, and because uh, where, where you go, your job matters. One, it matters because the people matter there. I want to talk about how, how do we actually, how do we engage people? Now, if you're, if you're not a believer here, we're glad you're here. And maybe you're like, man, this is why I don't like Christians. They're always like, hey, w- w- let me tell you what I believe. Why, why can't I just believe what I want to believe and you believe what you want to believe? I'm just here to get this guy off my back who's been inviting me. I'm coming one time. Okay, that might be you. Uh, maybe not. Maybe because you didn't invite anybody. I don't know. Uh, but you, you, they're, they're here and they're, they're thinking, man, why do you do that? And, and it's simply just because, well, we've, we think that we've discovered something that is absolutely the most amazing good news. That's what the gospel means. Good news the world could ever hear. And we want to share that. In fact, everyone, everyone shares what they're into. Like you've done it. You're like, hey, this mixture of oil, this is amazing. I'm going to tell everyone about that. Or uh, this product or this stock. I mean, I did it. In early 2000s, I bought my first Mac computer. That was before the iPhone or anything. I was a Mac evangelist, man. I, uh, now everyone has those, and so I don't tell people as much because everyone has it already. But you get it. Whatever your thing is, you get excited. So we're just excited, and I get it if sometimes Christians are obnoxious and they don't do it right. Uh, this, this sermon wants to help in that way. <laughs> uh, but then there's others of you that are, you're a Christian, but, but someone taught you along the way, hey, um, that's personal and that's private. And work is for work, and church is for God, and you never talk about church at work, uh, and sometimes you might talk about work at church, like in a series like this, but, but we'll, we'll try to keep those separate, and we'll just let people believe what they want, and, and, and you know, that's, that's what we should do. Now, I just, that, that idea, whoever taught you that was mistaken, we, we, we say here often that the, 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 the relationship with Jesus is intensely personal. It was never meant to be private. And, and um, that idea, if you, if you believe, like, hey, I'm going to keep these two things separate, a couple problems with that. First is, if I keep them separate, then I totally just lost my train of thought. Um, man, what, what was I going to say? About I had two points right there. Okay. Give me a second. This is on the live stream. This is awesome. Okay. Oh, man, I, it, it's on the tip of my tongue. Okay. Um, yeah, this idea, we keep them separate. I'm just going to keep rolling. Uh, man, it was a good point. I, I promise you. Okay. So, I don't even know how to go forward with that. Um, I might come back to that. Okay. Oh, it's so close. Um, Okay, well, one of the reasons why we, you, you, we just can't, you can't, oh yeah, yeah, I, I got it now, um, 
It's okay to believe that. Like, I'm going to keep that private. I'm going to... As long as you believe, you know, in the end, nothing really matters. As long as you believe people don't really spend eternity somewhere. As long as you believe that everyone's just going to go to the same place, they're going to go to a heaven anyways, then, then go ahead, live like that. But that's not what Christianity teaches. See, that wasn't a bad point. And, and then the second one is this. Like, Christianity is a religion, but ultimately, unlike any other one, uh, through Jesus, it's a religion that invites us into relationship with our Creator. So, so by his life, death, burial, and resurrection, uh, we, we come into the family of God. And we get to call God Father. And uh, it's this, uh, this really uh, intimate relationship that we have. Now, here's the deal about relationships. Relationships are not geographical, right? Like, I'm not on this piece of property, and I'm in relationship here. But when I step off of that property, and, and I go over here, I'm no longer in relationship, Right? So maybe this will help you. If I say to my wife, hey, honey, um, I'm married to you at home. And when we're at home, like, you're, you're my wife, I'm my husband. Like, we're going we're gonna to focus on that. We're going to talk about that. We're, we're going to really work on our marriage at home. But, 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 but when I go over here and I go into my workplace, I'm not married to you. <laughs> Uh, and, and what would they think if I brought your pic- my pictures from home and, and put them on my desk? I mean, that's work. Work is for work. Home is for home. And, and actually, because work is for work and home is for home, when I go to work, I, I, I take off my ring and I put it in the car because, you know, I got to keep those things separate, right? She'd be like, well, as long as you're taking off your ring and putting it in the car, why don't you live in the car until you recognize that you're married wherever you go? (laughs) Right? Like, somehow in this relationship with the most important relationship, we're like, oh, that's that's for this place. That's for over here. But, But I want... But when I'm over here, I can't... can't. Now, I'm not going to go into my job in every sentence talk about my wife. <laughs> that, that wouldn't necessarily be appropriate or anything. But they're going to know I'm married. They're going to know that I love my wife. They're going to know some stories of, of encounters with my wife along the way when it's natural and right. See what I'm saying there? So, so I just want to push it back against this idea like, hey, we, we keep those things separate. One, because God has, has given you those jobs. Um, the Apostle Paul, when he was in Athens, and he was waiting for his friends to show up, he was walking around, and he says a couple things in there when he sees all the idols, and his heart is breaking, and he begins to talk to the people, and one of the things he says is, God has ordained the exact times and locations in which men should live. The exact times and locations. You live at your job, you live here at this time and this place, so that Men might seek him and follow him, though he's not far from any of us. So so God has ordained your Monday morning. And he has purposes. He has salvation purposes built into that. So I want to talk about that. I want to look at this real compelling reason that Jesus gives in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5 is the Sermon on the Mount. And in the Sermon on the Mount... um, Jesus has gathered his disciples and there's other big crowd, but he's he's teaching them about the way of the kingdom. This is what it means to be a kingdom citizen. But you need to understand some context here. Um, in, In Israel's history, from the very beginning... God chose Abram, and he said, Abram, you're going to be a blessing to all the nations, all the nations. And this theme, this repeat, is on repeat throughout the Old Testament that God's people bless 
the whole world. God's people bless the whole world, just on repeat. But when you study it, uh, when you study what happened is that they didn't do an awesome job of that. In fact, they did a terrible job. But on repeat, God's people bless the whole world. So Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6 and 7, I'll have it on the screen. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and I will make you to be a covenant to the peoples and a light for the Gentiles. That's the nations. To open the eyes that are blind, to, be, to free captives from prison, to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. And then Isaiah 46, verse, it should be, uh, that's wrong. 46, 9. Uh, I will make you a light for the Gentiles. Oh, go. Uh, there we go. Uh, that you may bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. This was Israel's marching orders. This is what they were to do. But again, like I said, they did a terrible job at it. That They were always living in these, these two kind of opposed camps, either sin and rebellion to God's purposes and ways, or in survival mode. Like, we're just trying to get by. The enemies have come. God has sent enemies to kind of judge us because of our sin and rebellion. And so they're just trying to survive. And a classic story of this is Jonah, right? Like, Jonah, I want you to go. I want you to preach to the Ninevites. They're the enemies of God. And Jonah knows the character of God. Jonah knows that he is righteous, he is just, but he is also gracious and merciful. And so he he hedges his bet and he heads the other way. This is kind of a metaphor of the whole life of Israel. We're going to go the other way. We're going to work against your purposes of being light to the world. So so with that context in mind, now in the first century, there are full-on uh, survival mode. That Rome is oppressing them and they have no eyes for anyone but just to protect themselves and their families. The, the thought of telling the world about God, the living God of the universe, was not anywhere on their radar, even though it should have been on repeat in the Old Testament. So Jesus comes, gathers his disciples on the mountain, and, and this verse that you're probably very familiar with, uh, but it, in chapter 5, verse 14, Notice what he says, you are the light of the world. He says, remember that light thing? Tag, you're it. My purposes haven't changed. I'm going to bless all the nations. And it just so happens that it's no longer going to be through the geopolitical nation state of Israel. It's going to be through the kingdom of God, the people of God. You are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. Now, let me ask you this question again, for those that like to say, well, uh, God talk is for God places and work talk is for workplaces and, and, and those should never mix. Um, Jesus says, you are the light of the world. What kind of places need light? It's not a trick question. It starts with D. <laughs> Dark places. That's right. So if I had in this room candles right now and I mean, it's a pretty bright room, spiritually and physically. A flashlight would make no difference in the atmosphere of this room. Candles would make no difference in, in the light in this room. And in this room, like, I mean, everyone's just got their light shining, right? Like, we're, we're nice to each other. We can hold it together for an hour each Sunday. Uh, we're, we're, we're light in this room. And this room, honestly, we don't, we don't need more light. We're good with the light thing. We got, we got a lot of light in here. But your light shines brightest in the darkest places, right? In the darkest places. 
Now, each of us have probably about three spheres of influence that we, that we move in. At, at home is, is one we spend a lot of time in. And, and I'm guessing that you're working toward or trying, you've been working toward to set up an atmosphere where, where the things of God are, are, are center. And, and so there's light in your home. And maybe you need help with that, and that's why we come alongside and all that. But for the most part, uh, if you're a follower of Jesus, there, there's, there's light there, okay? Uh, then there's your kind of friends, infl- your, the atmosphere of friends, and, and maybe you have some Christian friends, and, and hopefully you have some friends that are not yet followers of Jesus yet, and so uh, you, you get to let your light shine there, maybe through your hobbies or a little bit like that. But, but for most of us, uh, the darkest place that we spend the most time in is our workplaces, spiritually and otherwise. I know, I've, I've, I've talked to you, some of you about your work and, and what you're facing and, and the challenges and the, the kind of anti-God posture of some of your coworkers. And I mean, I did military ministry for 10 years and man, always sending them into dark, dark, dark places. But here's the deal. Have you ever been like in Colorado uh, into the caves or uh, we, we did this in the Czech Republic. We went into this deep, deep, deep cave and uh, we were led and then they turn off all the lights like where you can't see any, like it's, it's disorienting. It's, it's all that. But then just like a single candle in the room would, would give us all a, a point of perspective and all a point of hope, a point of joy. Like that, that, that happens when one little tiny light comes in. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. You are the light in the dark places. He says, a city on a hill cannot be hidden. In that time, when you travel, you didn't want to travel at night. You never wanted to be left on the road. You were, that was just super dangerous. And so as you were traveling, you were always looking on the horizon, looking for the next hill, seeing if there's a city on that hill. And as it's getting dusk out, you see some lights. And, and in seeing the lights, it not only gives you a compass, it gives you hope, and it gives you joy, and it gives you purpose, it gives you a direction. And we're going to make it to that city, and we're going to get inside the city walls, and we're going we're gonna to be okay tonight, family. So he says, a city on a hill can't be hidden. It wasn't designed to be hidden. He says, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. Again, Jesus is just using very, very simple analogies here to, prove, to show a very profound truth. Like, you, you've been given a light, and that light was never meant to be hidden under the bowl. So in verse 16, he says, in the same way, in the same way, just, just like the things he just said, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. In the same way, you have a light. It's meant to shine. It's meant to shine in the darkest places. And in those darkest places, people will see it. By, their, by your light, they might find a compass for hope and joy and life forever so that they may see your good work. But, but notice, notice the connection. So, so we might read this and we might think of our, our jobs like so that they may see your good works and give you a promotion and a raise and a, a better job. Like that's, that's what we think. Like, hey, did you notice how good I'm working? Can you get like, and God's like, that, that, that's fine. Well, I hope you do get a promotion, but... But he says, so that they might see your good works and give glory to your God, Father in heaven. So there has to be something more. You can't just be like, hey, I'm going to go in. I'm going to knock out this job 
and everyone's just going to bow down at the feet of Jesus at the end of the day because, no, there, there has to be some, some dots that have to be connected for people. They have to connect your work, your character, your, your faith with, with the God who has blessed you and given you. So I want to talk about how, how do we do that? Um, you know, the disciples who were there, sitting there, uh, taking this all in, man, this, this made a profound impact on them. In fact, from the last series, Peter, notice the echo to the same verse. Peter says in 1 Peter 2.12, live such good lives among the pagans, though they accuse you of doing wrong, that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day he visits us. Again, there, there's, there's got to be this connection. There, there, we have to help people connect the dots between our faith, our work, all those things to a God who is glorious and worthy of all praise. We just sing about it. Every knee will bow and every tongue confess. And we can help people do that with glad submission. With glad submission. So how do we connect the dots? I want to do a couple things. I want to just talk about the foundation, which we've really talked about over the last several weeks. So I'll be quick on that. And then I want to share with you 10 steps that uh, are adapted from um, Pastor Tim Keller, who talks about uh, missional evangelistic engagement uh, just in the workplace. So uh, the foundation, of course, has got to be character, right? Like we've talked about this. You, you have to bring to your job a character. Now, not, not a perfect character. We're, we're all in process, uh, but there should be a growing Christ-likeness in, in, our, in, our, in our demeanor and in our work so that um, that just has to be on the foundation, right? It, it just can't be anything else. I I had a friend, he's a great guy, but man, his, his character at work I, was just lacking all the time. I was like, dude, you've got to stop telling people about Jesus because you are a bad witness. Like no one wants to follow Jesus w- when you act like this and then you tell him all day about, like, d- stop. So character, uh, out of that character is going to flow good work. Like, man, do the job that you were hired to do. Do, make the widgets, sell the things, do all those things, do that well. Uh, and then uh, integrity, authenticity, authenticity. This one is real important because we know the gospel, right? When we talk about it's okay to not be okay. Jesus will meet us where we're at. None of us are perfect. We should not, the goal is not to go into our workplace and, and live such lives that people think I could never be like that. Like, we have failed if people look at our lives and be like, well, I would be a Christian, but they're, they're too, I'm not good enough. I'm not perfect enough. They've got their life together, and I can't, no. So, authenticity just shows, man, we struggle too. We stumble too. But we, we know how to get up. We, we know where to go. Uh, and so, there's got to be just some some kind of authenticity, like we're, we're in this life together and our hope, our strength is Jesus. Our perfection is him, not our own performance. So that's the foundation. Now let's talk about 10 steps uh, that, that might help. And they're kind of in progressive order. And one of, what I want you to think about is, uh, have you done any of these maybe in different ways? And, and maybe just one this week that you could be like, I could do that. I could do that. So let's look at the first one. Number one, let people around you know that you're a follower of Christ. So, so on some way, shape, or form, you, they should know that you are a follower of Jesus and it's meaningful to you. You don't have to be obnoxious about it. Your coworkers should just know, hey, that's a follower of Jesus. Because here's the deal. In the larger culture, the, the pop media culture of Christians, there's a caricature that one of the reasons we're like, man, I don't want to tell people I'm, out, I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus because then they'll think I'm like those people. But that's just... 
perpetuating the caricature. We need people that are genuine, good followers of Jesus to say, hey, I'm a follower of Jesus. And guess what? I'm not like those clowns you see on TV. So, so just let them know. Like, that, that, that's something that in some way, shape, or form, all of us can do no matter, no matter where we go. Number two, uh, ask coworkers about their faith and then just listen. Again, you're not doing this in the middle of a business call or anything, but like in that natural workflow of breaks and lunches, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And you just listen. You're not, you're not trying to come back at them or anything like that. In fact, one of the things we got to realize is that it's not all on us. You don't have to have everything together. You don't have to have all the answers, right? God does his work in the ways he likes to delight to do. So I was teaching a class on evangelism several years ago, and it was like a four or five week class at church. And, and one of the first weeks we just said, hey, do this, do this step. Just ask your coworkers, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And then come back and, and share with the class what happened there. And so uh, we come back and uh, this girl, she comes up and she was, she's, she's worried. She's like, Mark, I, I think I did something wrong. I was like, well, what happened? She says, well, I went to work, like you said, the next day. And I just asked, hey, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And they told me, and I just listened. Like you said, I didn't say anything. I just listened. And then they asked, they said, well, do you have any spiritual beliefs? And I hadn't been through the whole class. And I was like, well, so what'd you do? She's like, well, I just, I, I just told them about Jesus. But here, Mark, I, I don't know if I did it right. I'm like, why? Well, because he said he wants to be a Christian. I'm like, it's okay. God delights to do that kind of thing. And so just kind of affirmed her in that, like, it's okay. Just by asking a question, do you have any spiritual beliefs? Like, uh, and then number three. So let's look at the next one. So listen to their problems. Maybe offer to pray for them. Like we, our, our anthropology and theology come together. We, we just know that all of us have problems. All of us struggle in relationships and finances and work and, and just our own, our own personal uh, struggles and temptations. Like we all struggle. And so, um, man, the, the therapy industry is exploding because no one has anyone to talk to. And we can, we can be people that listen. And then at the end, just say, hey, I'm going to pray with you. I'm going to pray for you. Maybe if it's appropriate, I'll I'll pray with them right then. I remember my own journey when I was 18 coming to faith. One of the catalysts for that was someone just looked at me and said, hey, Mark, we're we're praying for you. And I was like, wow, I've never heard that before. I don't even know what that means. But it was a catalyst. Number four, share your problems with others. Testify how your faith helps you. Again, we're we're not trying to, we're not Jesus. Jesus is the the hero. (laughs) And and so we're just saying, hey, I struggle too. I I, I don't have it all together either. Uh, But I find that my my church, my faith, my my, my family is is kind of a a crutch for me. It it carries me when when I'm weak. Number five, uh, give them a book or a resource to read, maybe if it's appropriate. If they're a reader or a link and just say, hey, uh, for example, Tim Keller's book, The Reason for God, just a, just a, a thinking person's engagement with the Christian faith. Say, hey, this was helpful for me. It, it may be helpful for you um, or other resources or other small books that you, you could give them. Uh, number six, uh, share your story. Again, uh, these are now increasing in, in relational capacity. And, and I get it, like, hey, we want to we wanna build relationships, but so often that just gets caught in an infinite loop of like, hey, someday I'm going to share the gospel because I'm building a relationship. And more times than not, it's like 30 years have gone by and like someday 
I'm going to have enough of a relationship. Like, no, dude. You could have 10 minutes or you can have a few weeks, whatever. But eventually, if it's appropriate, share your story. This is, this is what happened. But, but again, the hero of your story has to be Jesus, right? Like, we don't want to make disciples of us. We want to make disciples of Jesus. We want to point them to Jesus and, and just have kind of a, what we call a gospel centrality in the way we share our story. Number seven, uh, answer objections and questions. Like, if you are developing these meaningful conversations and engagement, they might have questions, and you might not have the answers. Don't make up answers. Like, that's the worst thing you can do. Just be like, hey, that, that's a great question. I honestly don't know the answer to that. Do you mind if I just spend some time? I'm, I'm going to find the answer and come back, and then you have a, a door. That, they'll, they'll respect that more than just like, well, this is why evolution's wrong. You know, whatever. Uh, you know, just coming at them like that. Number eight. Invite them to an event with other Christian friends. So this is, hey, I'm having a barbecue. I got some friends from church, but I'd like to have some friends from work. And there's no agenda. There's nothing like that. Again, we're, we're just having, spending some time together or uh, having, just so, so you can see like, hey, the people I go to church with aren't that strange. <laughs> that strange. Uh, number nine, uh, offer to read the Bible with them. Again, these are increasing. And you're like, I don't know if I could do that. I went to a conference a few years ago, and uh, one of the speakers, they had written a little book, one-to-one Bible reading, and they, in the book, they said that in a survey of non-church-going people, 70% of people said when, uh, responded, if, if someone said, would you read the Bible one-on-one with someone, uh, would you do it? 70% said yes. I didn't believe that at all. It's like, no way. Like, I'm just going to go up to people and be like, hey, would you like to just kind of walk through a, like the gospel? So I went back and I found a non-believer and uh, he was a friend of mine, but I was like, hey, Jeremy, um, do, do you want to you get together kind of once a week for lunch and just go through the gospel of Mark? And he's like, sure. I'm like, okay. <laughs> I was like, uh, and then he was like, uh, then, then like the weeks would come by and he'd be texting me, hey, are we getting together? We're on Mark chapter four now. I'm like, yeah, okay, we'll do that. And so I got there and we went through the whole thing and he didn't like give his life to Christ or anything in that moment. I actually left oh, Japan and moved to the Czech Republic. Then I get a, a message saying, hey, Jeremy's become a believer. Can you fly back and baptize him? You can, you can do that. One of the reasons we do our gospel community is the way we do. is so that you can do this. You can open up the gospel market and say, hey, we're just gonna ask a few questions. What does this tell us about God? Let's just tell us about us. How can we apply this to our lives? And we'll do the same thing next week. And then number 10, uh, invite them to church or a church event. Um, again, this can be different levels. Like we're, we're going to do some men's events this summer that are just kind of low, low bar. Like low bar, like we're going to throw axes. <laughs> so you can invite people to come throw axes with us. Okay. Uh, or you can just invite them to come to church. When, when you look at the book of Acts, um, we see that when the people of God are gathered, uh, that they're, they're learning the word of God, they're, they're, they're praying, that there's these like taglines on the end of those and the Lord added 2,000 to their number, those that were being saved. Like there's just something about the authentic worship of God with the spirit of God and the people of God and the word of God that still, still, even today, will draw people to them. So again, my, my, my encouragement, my challenge to you is what's one step you could take this week? What's one step? I want to close with just a couple stories of people that I know that shine their light really well. First one's, her, her name's Carla. 
Uh, Carla Nugent, she's a friend of ours. She's been the Colorado Businesswoman of the Year, I think several times, right? Um, but I knew her first when she was right out of college. Uh, and she was actually a friend of my sister's, and she was dating this guy, and they, they didn't know if it was going to work out, whether to get engaged or not. And so my sister's like, hey, my brother's training to be a pastor, and he's been married like a whole year. Why don't you have him do some counseling? And so they did. And uh, I went there and I listened. And I was like, uh, you guys should not get married. You should actually break up. And, and they did. I'm thinking horrified now, like, well, the audacity of my advice in the, that moment. But God, right? And so uh, she, she's just been so appreciative of that. And she met someone else. We went to their wedding. And, and so they've been supporters of ours. And, and we just kind of watched from afar, like, just, them, just doing excellent work, excellent work, excellent work, just growing. She, she now owns and operates the largest electrical, industrial electrical company in Colorado uh, called the Wayfield Group. And, uh, but she brings her faith to her job, not, not just in excellence, but in, in many ways of things that we've talked about in this series. Like uh, they, they hire people just getting out of prison and, and they give them uh, training in electrical work. And, and so now they've got a real skill, a real job. And, and they're, so, so that's letting her light shine. But but also each year they, they'll do these company-wide events where they'll, they'll gather people and uh, she'll just stand up and she'll just testify how it's her faith that has, has driven this company and, and brought her to this point. And, and it, it just has this halo effect on the whole company. I'm like, man, that's it. Uh, totally different career field. Uh, talk about my friend, um, I'll call him John. My friend John. And he is probably one of the top, I don't know, five or ten special forces helicopter pilots in our nation. He tells me stories of, of just the, the missions that he goes on. And uh, man, just so much there. But he brings his faith to work in a very, very, very dark place. And he, he's, I was like, do you, uh, you go on a lot of missions? He's like, yeah, when we're gone, we go on two missions a night. I was like, do you take fire? He's like, we take fire every night. He's like, but because we're special forces, we never, get any, we never get any medals or anything like that. We can't be recognized for anything we do. But nonetheless, this is my job. And, uh, but he says before each mission, he'll, he'll go out and he's, he's the best of the best. And he's leading these guys and he's planning the mission. And he'll, he'll text me sometime, hey, pray for me. I'm like, okay. Next day I turn on the news. Oh, see what you did. He's like, yeah, I did. So... He'll go to his helicopters, he'll, he'll pray over each one, he'll pray for the guys that are getting in, he'll pray for the, the pilots, he'll pray for the, the ground forces that will come out, and he'll pray. The guys will see him do this, um, but because he's the best of the best, they'll also be like, man, tell me about that. And he's, been ba- he's baptizing people in the desert, and just leading people to faith. He, he brings his work and his faith in a, in a dark place. Now, again, you can do that at Pizza Hut. You can do that in Iraq. You can do that in an electrical company. You can do that everywhere. You are the light of the world. Let your light shine. Jesus is saying, you, you are the light of the marketplace. You are the light of the school. You are the light of the office. You are the light of the factory. You are the light of the battalion. You're the light of the firehouse. You're the light of the gym. You're the light of the firm. You're the light of the hospital. You're the light of the fill in the blank. You're the plan. You're the plan. So let our light shine so that they may see our good works and glorify God in heaven. Let's pray for that. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. Jesus, Lord, I thank you that you... uh, 
invite us to be part of your mission. You say we're the light, but you give, you've given us the light. You've given us your spirit. So in the end, it's really just you shining through us, making much of Jesus. I pray that you would do that this week. I pray that you'd give us boldness and courage and faith to step into the places that you've called us to in a home or school or work and to let our light shine. And Jesus, I pray that we'd have testimonies, uh, even from this week, of the amazing work that you do in our lives and through our lives and through this church. In Jesus' name, amen.